chapter number three this morning. And if you were here last week, you might have noticed that we finished in Ephesians chapter two and we stopped at verse number 10. And today we're going to kind of jump ahead and start in chapter number three. And the reason for that is a couple of months ago, I preached a message at the second half of Ephesians chapter two called Find Your Fit. And so if you want to check out that message, you're following, if you're following along verse by verse, you can check that out on our YouTube channel. But today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter three. And we're going to start reading in verse number one. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he is writing this letter encouraging the church. And the Apostle Paul was a brilliant communicator. He was a brilliant uh, uh, speaker and uh, a great communicator. And sometimes he wrote with complexity. And so as we study chapter three, there might be some things that we read here in a moment that you think, what in the world does that mean? But just bear with me because we're going to unpack these verses uh, together this morning. Are you ready for it today? Ephesians chapter three, verse number one. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, Gentiles speaking of non-Jewish people, verse two, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which, is, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ." to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he hath purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness. Everybody nudge your neighbor this morning and say boldness. We have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. He says, faint not. Today, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, we thank you for this day. God, thank you for the work that you've already done in the morning services. And Lord, I pray that you would meet with us in a special way here at this 11 o'clock service Lord, I pray that I'd be filled with your spirit to communicate exactly what you'd have for us today. Lord, I pray that you would be exalted. I pray that we would see you in this text this morning. And Lord, I pray that we can apply it to our lives and uh, allow your word to transform us from the inside out. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said this morning, Amen. amen. My son, Luke, he loves candy. He absolutely loves it. How many of you today would say that you have a sweet tooth? Can I see uh, your hand today? My son, Luke, he loves candy. And the other night we were at the dinner table 
And my wife, Katie, said to our children, she said, you know, there's been some news and they are going to ban Skittles from California in a couple of years. How many of you saw this in the news? They're going to ban Skittles. And when she said that, my son Luke said, mom, are you serious? <laughs> like, like he was just so overwhelmed at this discouraging news that they were going to ban Skittles. And Katie said, yep, they're going to ban Skittles. And he said, mom, why? <laughs> like he was so concerned. Why is this going to happen? I couldn't take it any longer. And I said to Luke, I said, hey, they're just going to be banning some ingredients. And I'm sure Skittles is going to still be manufactured in California. You can rest easy. Don't worry. Uh, you'll still be able to access, the, access those Skittles. Uh, but for his eight-year-old heart, that was disheartening and discouraging news. You know, this morning at this 11 o'clock service, I don't think anyone came into this room really discouraged about uh, the potential of Skittles not being in California anymore. Anybody actually come in discouraged by that? Uh, but the reality is, is that all of us encounter discouraging news on a daily basis. Uh, whether it's uh, the war in Israel, the war in the Middle East, whether it is uh, the inflation that we're experiencing in the United States, the direction of our country and the rapidly deteriorating culture drifting further and further away from God's word, or maybe it's a relationship in your life that's broken that needs mending. Maybe it's a financial struggle that you are experiencing. And the reality is, is that all of us will encounter discouraging news in our lives that can cause us to lose heart. Uh, in fact, uh, the Bible says this, and we saw this verse last week, if you were here in Psalm 73, verse number 26, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And so even when our flesh fails and even when our heart fails, I'm thankful that our strength doesn't come uh, just from ourselves. Our strength comes from the Lord. In fact, uh, the Bible says in Psalm 31, verse number 24, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all you that hope in the Lord. Now there is a distinction here and we have to catch it this morning. He says, hey, uh, the Lord will strengthen your heart all you that hope in the Lord. I think it's a good time to remind ourselves today that our hope is not in an education system. Our hope is not in the government. Our hope is not in the next election. Our hope is not in a financial raise. Can I remind you today that our hope is in the Lord God Almighty. And when your hope is in the Lord God Almighty, he says he will strengthen your heart. And so this is good news today that when our flesh fails, and it will, and when our heart fails, and it will, that God provides and he promises the strength uh, that we need when we are disheartened. Now, Paul is going to communicate this truth. In verse 13, he says, hey, don't lose heart. He says, don't faint not. But to get a little bit of context as to why Paul would say this, I want us to see uh, verse number one in our text. I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready today. Notice verse number one. If you can see it, would you say amen? amen. Verse one, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. And so Paul says, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, Paul is writing from a prison cell in Rome under house arrest, and he is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. And he is in prison for preaching the gospel. He is in prison for preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I find it fascinating in verse number one that Paul says that he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I find it fascinating that Paul did not say that he was a prisoner of Caesar, but rather he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ because Paul recognized that when you submit to the will of God, that does not mean that you won't encounter any trials or afflictions in your life. And so Paul says, yes, Caesar might have arrested me, but it was God that appointed me to this season, that God is ultimately in control. Now, if you can get a hold of that perspective, it'll change your whole view on suffering. 
Because Paul says God is the one that is in control. I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, Paul said the same thing when he was writing to the uh, church in Thessalonica. He said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. He's saying that you can actually have some stability when you encounter trial and difficulty. Uh, so many people in life, they, they live up and down and all over and they're tossed to and fro. And Paul says, hey, you don't, actually don't have to live that way that you can have stability in your life no matter what season that you are in. He says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. But then he says something key in 1 Thessalonians 3.3. He says, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Did you catch that? He says we were appointed thereunto. In other words, Paul is saying these afflictions in our lives, they aren't there by accident. They're there by appointment. He's saying, hey, this is not just happenstance and circumstance, but God knows, and, and these afflictions aren't there by accident. They are there by appointment, and God allows these trials, and he allows these difficulties into our lives, not to harm us and hurt us, but to help us and to develop us and to deploy us. And you might think, well, how could Paul, the apostle, say that sitting in prison? Wasn't, wasn't his mission uh, thwarted because of this? Uh, wasn't uh, he limited because he was sitting in prison? Can I tell you that Paul didn't have a pulpit, but he did have a pen? And so what Paul decided to do was to write letters to these churches under the inspiration of the Spirit. And now here we are 2,000 years later, and we are still gleaning and learning from this letter to the Ephesians. Aren't you thankful that what the enemy means to silence us, that God can actually use that to amplify our voice and our cause and our mission for his purpose and for his glory? This is... Good news today. We don't always see how it's going to work, but we recognize that these afflictions in our lives, they're not there by accident. That God is always working behind the scenes. And so Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And then if you go to the last verse of our text today, in verse number 13, this is what he says. So we read the first verse. Now let's kind of bookend this and let's look at the last verse, verse 13. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not out of my tribulations for you. He says, yes. There is suffering. He brings it up. He says, I'm in prison. Yes, there are unfortunate circumstances. Yes, there is suffering, there's trial, and there's tribulation. But I want you, the church, to not lose heart. Be encouraged. Keep on trusting the Lord. Now, here's the question that I have for us today as we study this, as we're going to be students of the word this morning. What happened in between verses 1 and 13 that Paul could say, don't lose heart? In the middle of these verses, what is Paul communicating to the church that would give them reason to be encouraged? And that Paul would say, hey, don't lose heart at these difficult circumstances. And what I want to do today is I want to unpack these verses, verses 1 through 13. And what I'd like to do is give us three reasons that we don't have to lose heart. Three reasons we don't have to lose heart. Are you ready for them this morning? Yes. Number one is this. We have a place. We have a place. Now, this is something that is very encouraging when we can wrap our minds around what the Apostle Paul is communicating. A couple of months ago, uh, we saw on the news the devastating fires that were in Maui, and specifically Lahaina, and so many uh, uh, tragically lost their lives, and so many families were displaced, and, and uh, uh, we had some family over there. In fact, uh, uh, Cole and Madeline were over there at this time. And, and when this happened, they couldn't go to their hotel because of the fires. And so they didn't have a place to stay. And so they just had to go to uh, the local high school gym and they slept on the floor in the gym. And, and uh, why? They didn't have a place. You know, if you've ever been displaced in life, you know that that's a disheartening feeling. If you don't have a place. And I think the, true, the truth is that, yes, that we can feel this way physically, but also I think the true reality sets in when we experience this spiritually and mentally. When we feel like spiritually we don't have a place, 
I don't know where I fit in. I don't know where I connect. I don't know where I belong. And I just feel like, man, I don't know if I have a place. And the overwhelming message that Paul is going to communicate in these next few verses is very encouraging because he says, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a place in the household of God. You have a place. You belong. You fit in. And so Paul is going to unpack this, and it's so encouraging. And I want us to see it starting in verse number two. Notice what it says. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. And so if you've heard of this dispensation, the word dispensation means stewardship or management. And so it carries the idea of someone that is responsible for the affairs of someone else, someone that's a steward, a manager. And so Paul says, I've been given this dispensation. I've been given this responsibility. Now, what was the responsibility that the apostle Paul received? What was his ownership or management? Well, notice what it says in verse three. It says this. How that by revelation, so he learned something by revelation, not by emotion, not by experience, but by revelation, he made known unto me the mystery. Everybody say mystery. In fact, wake up your neighbor that might be a little tired this morning and tell mystery. Just kind of nudge him. The mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, verse number four, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the, there it is again, mystery of Christ. Verse five, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so he's saying this mystery, this secret, it wasn't fully revealed in old times in the Old Testament. Men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, they weren't fully privy to this mystery. They didn't fully understand what this mystery is. And so time and time again, Paul is talking about this secret. He's talking about this this mystery. In fact, Warren Wiersbe, he says this, in the New Testament, a mystery is not something eerie or inscrutable but rather a truth that was hidden by God in times past and is now revealed to those who are in his family. A mystery is a sacred secret that is unknown to unbelievers, but understood and treasured by the people of God. And so Paul is talking about this secret, this secret, this, uh, this mystery. How many of you today would say that you are pretty good at keeping secrets? Can I see your hands if you're like that? How many of you would say, I'm not very good at keeping secrets. Can you raise up your hand? Okay, keep them up. We want to know who we can't trust this morning. Okay, notice who's not good at keeping secrets. Uh, I remember growing up, my brother and I, we received for Christmas one year a magic set. In junior, we loved this magic set. We thought it was the greatest gift ever. We were practicing tricks all the time, and, and uh, we just thought it was so cool. We would put on shows for our family and friends where they would come over. We even filmed some, some magic videos of my brother and I in elementary doing some magic tricks, and unfortunately, we still have some of those videos, but I did not bring one this morning unfortunately. I'm sorry for that. And uh, maybe next time. And uh, we would do these magic tricks. And everybody knows that a magician has a code. And that code is that, is that a magician never reveals his secrets. Who said tricks? <laughs> Seth, come on. A magician never reveals his secrets, okay? And, uh, and so a magician will never reveal his secrets until, if you remember in the 1990s, there was a, a show that came on TV about a mass magician. Anybody remember this show? And this magician would wear a mask and he would reveal and tell the world all the secrets of these really big tricks that magicians would do. This mask magician. And I remember the magic community was pretty upset about this. I mean, Larry and I, we were flabbergasted that he would reveal all these secrets uh, to the world, right? And uh, he was revealing these secrets. And I find it interesting that Paul, three times in this short passage, he's saying there's a secret. There's a mystery. There is a secret that God has revealed to me. Is anybody interested in what that secret is this morning that Paul is going to communicate? Let's notice it. He reveals the secret in verse number six. Notice what it says. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. 
And so this is the mystery that was previously unknown, is that the gospel is for both Jew and Gentile, that both Jew and Gentile would comprise the church, that the church would be comprised of every people from every race, from every demographic, that the gospel is made available for all men, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the greatest news that the world has ever known, that that Jesus died for the sins of all the world. This is the mystery that has now been revealed. Now, a careful student of the Old Testament would recognize that at times the Old Testament alluded to the fact that salvation would come to the Gentiles. But the Jewish people never would have imagined that the Gentiles would be fellow heirs with them and, and that the church would be comprised and that, 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 that uh, the body of Christ would be comprised of both Jew and Gentile. Remember, in this uh, time period in history in the first century, the animosity, the vitriol was, was abhorrent. It was, it was at, at an extreme level. In fact, uh, one time Paul was sharing his testimony, and uh, this was after Paul was arrested, and he was kind of telling his story, and he was talking about uh, how he was a persecutor of the church and how, how Saul was a fair Pharisee of Pharisees and trained at the feet of Gamaliel, and he was telling his story. And then, how many of you remember in Acts chapter number nine that Paul on the road to Damascus, he had his conversion moment where he saw Jesus. And so he's telling this story. How many of you remember Paul's conversion story? So he's communicating this, he's telling his story. And it says this uh, this is Acts 22, verse number 21. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. So Paul's been talking, everybody's been listening, it's all been good. And watch what it says. And they gave him audience. In other words, they listened to him. They were listening. They gave him audience. Watch this. Unto this word. And so they were listening to Paul's testimony. Okay, this is interesting. Fascinating, Paul. You're preaching about a man named Jesus who was resurrected. And okay, they're listening unto this word. What was the word that Paul said that they stopped listening? The word was Gentiles. And it says this, and they lifted up their voices and they said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should even live. So Paul was sharing his testimony. One day I was on the road to Damascus and Jesus showed up and he blinded me with the light and I gave my life over to Jesus Christ. And now he's commissioned me to go and to preach the message of the gospel, even to the Gentiles. And as soon as they heard the word Gentiles, they said, stop, we're done. You don't deserve to live because he was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And so then Paul says, this is the mystery, the secret that has been revealed, that the gospel is both for Jew and Gentile, that the gospel has been made available for all people. And this is encouraging news today that no matter what your race is, no matter what your demographic is, no matter what your education is, no matter what your upbringing is, that you have a place in the household of God. Aren't you thankful that you have a plan, uh, that God has a plan for your life and that he has a place for you in your life? And so this is the secret that has been revealed. This is such good news for us today. Now, you might be thinking today, okay, I understand this from a gospel standpoint that the gospel is made available for all people, both Jew and Gentile. But I still feel as though I don't have a place. I still feel as though that I don't fit in and that that I'm not finding a connection. Well, the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 21, in whom all the building, speaking of the body of Christ, speaking of the church, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. And so this is describing the church, saying that the church is fitly framed together. This is a very unique phrase in the Greek language that's talking about how we are all bricks in God's house and every brick has a perfect snug fit, that we're all fitly framed together, that every brick has a specific place. Uh, There's this uh, construction company in Belgium 
And, uh, and Bel- it's this Belgian uh, uh, construction company called Gablock. And it offers this kind of in- in- innovative way to uh, build homes. And I think we brought a video this morning uh, of this. And what it is are these insulated bricks, these blocks, that you can kind of just connect them all with each other. And it's kind of this DIY way of building your own house without hammer and nails, that you can just kind of connect them like Legos together and uh, build your own home. And uh, I believe that that is a picture of the church that we are all fitly framed together, that God has a purpose and a place for each of us. And, and sometimes we don't feel like we have a place because we think, well, that person looked at me a wrong way and I didn't like how they looked at me. And that person doesn't listen to the music that I listen to, so I don't know if I get along with them. And that person doesn't have children the same age that I have children, and so I don't know. Uh, we're just not on the same page. And, and if we're not careful, what we will do is we will treat the church kind of like we would treat an eHarmony profile where I'm not gonna commit until there is a perfect match that meets all of my requirements. But I hate to disappoint you, but there is no such thing as a perfect church. But can I tell you, there is a perfect savior and there is power in the local church when we come together and say, you know what? I'm gonna be the change that I wanna see and I'm gonna be intentional about connection. Uh, can, can I share a prayer request with you this morning? You know, I've asked that to all services, and only like three people say yes. It's okay to share prayer requests. Can I share a prayer request with you this morning? Okay, very good. Okay. We have four different services on a Sunday morning, and I'm so thankful for the work that God is doing in our church and filling up all four services, and uh, we need to be praying for our leadership. We need to be praying for our worship team and and, uh, praying that we would continue to reach people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus, but there is a prayer request that I have specifically for our church with four services. Because there are many people that attend the 11 o'clock service that have never met anyone at the eight o'clock service. And there are people that attend the 9.30 service that have never met anyone at the 12.30 service. And I understand that we are in a unique season as a church and we are maximizing the space that God has given us. But I also recognize it presents a unique challenge for connection because there are people that don't know one another. And this is why we emphasize certain things like small groups because we recognize how important connection and community is and that God has designed us for relationship. And sometimes that relationship requires intentionality. The Bible says that a man that has friends must show himself friendly. That means sometimes you take the first step. That means sometimes you wait a little bit longer after church and you find someone that's sitting by themselves or you come a little bit early to make connection. It means that we are going to go out of our way to prioritize that kind of connection because that's what God designed us for. And so I am praying, my prayer request is, is that our church would be intentional about fostering and cultivating a spirit of community, and we would be that change that we wanna see, and that that God would usher in a spirit of harmony and unity, and that we would be able to band together and strive together for the faith of the gospel message. But here's the good news today. We have a place, that we have a place in the household of God. Here's the second encouraging news, the reason why Paul says that we can uh, not uh, lose heart. We have a place, but number two, we have a purpose. We have a purpose. Now, Paul's been talking about purpose uh, throughout the book of Ephesians. What what is our purpose? What's our identity? What's our purpose? And here he's going to talk about it a little bit more. Uh, Harrison Ford recently was having an interview after the latest Indiana Jones movie. And the person that was interviewing Harrison Ford asked him a question and said, what do you want to be written on your tombstone? Kind of a sobering question, right? Like, I don't know what he was getting at there. I don't know if that was insensitive, but he said, what do you want to be written on your tombstone? And I thought Harrison Ford's answer was, was interesting. 
he said, I would settle for two words, was useful, was useful. And I think to a certain point, we can all resonate with that, that we all want to be useful in life, that we all want to have a purpose. None of us just wants to kind of go through the motions and kind of just uh, waste our time, that we want to fulfill a purpose. And here's good news. Paul says, yes, you have a place in the house of God, but you also have a purpose. Now, we saw this last week in chapter two when he says, we're not saved by good works, but we are saved unto good works, that God has called us and created us for a purpose. And so I want you to see what our purpose is in our text today. If you're still with me, would you say amen this morning? Verse seven. He says, whereof I was made a minister. God, God made me a minister. He gave me that purpose to serve the Lord. Verse seven, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. And so Paul says, man, God gave me this assignment to be a minister, uh, to deploy me for service. Notice verse eight. Unto me, watch what Paul says here, who am less than the least of all saints. It almost sounds here like Paul's demonstrating false humility. Like, like, remember who was writing this? This is the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever known, the author of two-thirds of the New Testament, and he started all these churches and pioneering spirit, and, and uh, here Paul says, I am uh, less than the least of all the saints. It, it almost seems like Paul's demonstrating a little bit of false humility, but I believe that Paul was genuine and authentic when he said this. I, I think Paul just never got over the fact that God wanted to use him. Paul just never got over the fact that, man, God's grace was sufficient, and he was overwhelmed at the grace and goodness of God, and so he had this humility to say, man, I am less than the least of all saints. In other words, Paul did not let his quote-unquote ministry success get to his head. He wasn't like, wow, I am the great apostle Paul. No, no, he said, I am less than the least of all the saints. Uh, there was this Italian orchestra conductor, his name was Arturo Toscanini, and uh, one time he was uh, about to lead this uh, orchestra in playing some of Beethoven's uh, greatest uh, uh, pieces, and he was talking to the orchestra, and he said this, gentlemen, I am nothing, you are nothing, Beethoven is everything. And what he was trying to get them to understand is, hey, hey don't, don't think this is all about you and your instrument. Hey, when we come together and create this harmony and unity, it shows the audience and the world how beautiful this music is. And I think that's a good picture that we can apply to our lives today. I am nothing. You are nothing. Jesus is everything. It's not about my glory. It's not about our glory. It's not about making our name known. It's about making the name of Jesus known. And Paul said, I am less than the least of all the saints. Why? He wasn't concerned with his credit. He was concerned with giving uh, the glory and honor to uh, the Lord. And so Paul never got over this. Notice uh, verse number eight again. He says, unto me who am less than the least of all the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so Paul's gonna give a twofold purpose. Are you ready for what that purpose is this morning? The first purpose is very simple, to tell. The purpose that we have is to tell. He said, I have been called to preach, to preach. The word preach means to announce the good news, to make an announcement of the good news. Sometimes we, we limit and we think preaching is just standing behind a desk or a table and, and, uh, and opening up God's word and declaring the word of God. And that is preaching, but that's not all that preaching is, that we are called to announce the good news. Uh, a few years ago, we were surprising, Katie and I, we were surprising our kids with a trip to Disneyland. And, uh, and we were at the dinner table and I wanted to make this announcement and I wanted to surprise the kids and say, hey, guess what? We're gonna go to Disneyland. And uh, they weren't really listening. I was trying to get their attention. I was saying, hey, I have something to tell you. And the kids were kind of distracted. And so I tried to get their attention by, I got up on the chair and then I got up on the kitchen table and I said, I have an announcement. 
We're going to Disneyland. And, uh, you know, all the kids clapped. They thought that was funny. And then Katie told me to get down. And now, ever since I've done that, I created a problem because now our kids think whenever they want to make an announcement, they just jump up on the table and they say, I have an announcement. And they'll just declare something, you know, uh, there in that moment. Here's the truth this morning. As the church, we have an announcement. And that announcement is the greatest news that the world could ever know. That announcement is very simple. Jesus saves. Aren't you thankful for that announcement this morning? And we've been called to share and deliver the good news of the gospel. Paul says, man, this is our purpose to go and to tell other people about the good news of the gospel. I've been made a minister to preach the good news of the gospel. Charles Spurgeon, he said this one time when he was preaching. Uh, This was a quote from one of his sermons. He said, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. All of us are missionaries. He says, you either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. If we truly believe in the love of Jesus and we truly believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, that there is a heaven and there is a hell, then there should be something within us that says, I have to communicate this message. I have to tell my family. I have to tell my neighbor. I have to tell my friends and my coworkers. I have to bring them to church. Jesus said in John 20, verse 21, then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. As my father hath sent me, even so send I you. And so Jesus's mission is our mission. Uh, The Apostle Paul's message is our message uh, that, yes, the world is bleak and that, yes, there's so many things that we can be discouraged by. But I just happen to believe that we've been called for such a time as this. And we have a purpose and we have a message and we have a mission. And that is to reach people with the life giving and life changing message of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says we have a place and we have a purpose. And that purpose is to tell the world to preach this good news. But not only is our purpose to tell, our purpose is also to teach, to teach. I want you to see what he says in verse number nine. It says this, and to make all men see. I, I love the, the heart of the apostle Paul here. He says, I want all men to see what is the fellowship of the mystery. I, I want people to see the truth of the mystery of the church and the truth of the gospel. I want people to see it. I want people to grasp it. I want people to understand it. Uh, by the way, I believe that this should be the heart of every true pastor every true teacher and leader and small group leader that we would say, it's my heart, not that you would see me. Not that you would see my ideas, not that you would see my opinion, but that you would see the truth of the gospel. Paul says, man, it's my prayer request. I want all men to see this fellowship of the gospel. I want you to see it. That's why at Rock Hill, we always like to say, hey, keep your Bibles open. Why? We want to go back to verse number five and back to verse number six. And hey, let's look at verse number eight. Let's, let's talk about verse number seven. Why? We want all men to see the truth of the gospel. This is why the church at Berea in Acts chapter seven, they, uh, 17, they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Uh, they wanted to see for themselves what God was teaching them. And so we've been called to tell the world, but we've also been called to teach the word. And we do this on Sunday. We do this in our small groups. You know, the purpose of a small group is really threefold. The purpose of a small group is to provide connection. We want to have relationship. It's to provide care. If someone's going to the hospital or hurting, we want that small group leader and those small groups to be able to provide for them. And so connection, care. But also a small group is about content. Uh, we want to make sure that we aren't just coming together and say, hey, how was your week? And, oh, okay, let's just talk about whatever we want to talk about. No, we, at some point we're going to say, hey, let's open our Bibles. Hey, what are we studying tonight? Why? We want to make sure that we are growing in our knowledge of Jesus Christ through uh, his word. And so Paul was passionate about the content, about teaching. But then Paul says something very interesting in verse number 10. Everybody stay with me today? 
Now, this one might surprise you, but it's interesting. Verse number 10. To the intent, for the purpose, that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. All right? So let's talk about this for a second. What does that mean? (laughs) That the church is meant to make known the manifold, multifaceted, multicolored wisdom of God. The church is meant to make this known, but according to verse 10, who is the church meant to make this known to? Let's read it again, verse number 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, the church is going to make known. And so what this is saying and who this is talking about is actually the angels, angelic beings, that God in his wisdom wants to use the church to teach the angels about this mystery called the church. That, that God, did you know that angels, although they are powerful, they are not omniscient? They are not God. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. But angels are not all-knowing. That's why Peter even said in the Old Testament that the angels were interested in what God was doing. In fact, Peter said this in 1 Peter 1.12. Uh, if you skip down to the end of the verse, he says, which things the angels desire to look into. But the angels wanted to learn what is God doing and what is God demonstrating. And now the apostle Paul says here in Ephesians chapter three that God wants to use the church to teach even the angels about the manifold wisdom of God. Kent Hughes, one author, he says, the inescapable conclusion is that the angels watch us because we are a part of the mystery. We have a far bigger and more observant viewing audience than any of us realize. That is why when we come to church, we have a high view of the church that we don't come to church and just, it's about us, it's about our performance and it's about a show. No, we are here to give honor and glory to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. And we also recognize that the angels are watching and observing what they can learn from the church. And so we have a place in the house of God. We have a purpose. What is that purpose? To tell the world and to teach the word. But then thirdly today, and we'll be done, we have a privilege. We have a privilege. Notice verse number 11. He says, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so this is all according to the purpose. We have a purpose. Verse number 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. I I love that verse, that we have the greatest privilege in all the world. And that is the fact that we have access and boldness to draw nigh to the presence of God. Isn't that an amazing reality? That we can draw nigh and draw close to God, that we have boldness and confidence and access to the God that created us. There's this really exclusive club in Disneyland. It's called Club 33. How many of you have ever heard of Club 33 before? It's like this private exclusive club that you can only go to it if you're a member or if a member invites you. And, and uh, there's like a secret door that you go in. And, and a few years ago, my dad had a friend that invited us to go to this special club, Club 33. And so we went, we found this secret door that's by Pirates of the Caribbean. And then we went and we had this secret knock on the door. I'm just kidding. There's not a secret knock, but I just made that part up. But you go to the secret door and... Uh, and you go to this door and they have this like VIP room where they have all this food and all these things for you. And so I remember before we went, my dad said, all right, we're being invited by this person and we're probably never going to come back here. So really enjoy it and really make sure that you're thankful uh, because of this person he gave access. The only way that we could go is because of that member that provided access. Can I tell you that's exactly what Jesus has done for you? 
that the only way that you have access to the presence of God is because there is one God and one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus Christ, we can enter into his presence with boldness. We can enter his gates with thanksgiving. Aren't you thankful that at any time you want, you can boldly approach the throne of grace? No wonder Paul said, don't lose heart. No wonder he was saying, be encouraged. Yeah, I'm in prison. Yeah, there's difficulty. Yeah, there is hardship. But you can talk to the God of the universe. You can encounter his presence. No wonder he was saying, don't faint. No wonder he was saying, don't give up and don't quit. Hey, you can rely on the God of the universe. You know, right now in the Middle East, there is a war that is raging. And we need to be praying for all those that are affected. We need to be praying specifically. Psalm 122 tells us to be praying for Israel. You know, Jerusalem is the most valuable piece of real estate in all the world. This little tiny dot on the map on the globe, Jerusalem. Everybody wants it. Everybody's fighting over it. A few years ago, we were in Israel, and we went to the Western Wall there in Jerusalem. And at the Western Wall, you can see that, that the only part of that Temple Mount that's remaining where people go and pray. And if you were to go behind the Western Wall and kind of under these tunnels, you can go all the way to this underground place that is directly under what's called the Dome of the Rock. If you've ever seen a picture of Jerusalem, you've probably seen this Dome of the Rock, this golden uh, dome picture. And right underneath that, uh, there is this place that people will walk and travel to and they will go and they will pray there. And the reason that they will go underneath and the reason they will pray there, I think we have a picture this morning, is because they believe that this is the closest place that you can access to where the Holy of Holies was. And so people will go and they will pray there because why? They want to feel close to God. Can I tell you that we have such a privilege that we can go to the Lord in prayer, not just at a certain place, but we can boldly approach the throne of grace from wherever we are, whenever we want. This is the kind of boldness and access that we have to God through Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. We have a place. We we have a purpose And we have this privilege. The only question is, are we taking advantage? Yeah, we have this privilege, this amazing privilege to go to the Lord in prayer, but do we pray? We can boldly approach the throne of grace, but do we approach him boldly? We have this access, but do we take advantage? Notice what he says at the end of verse number 13, and we'll be done. Verse 13, wherefore I desire that you faint not, don't lose heart, don't give up at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.